Hey, it's Gabe. I want to recommend a podcast I think you'll enjoy called What Could Go Right. On What Could Go Right, the hosts, Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varva-Lucas, sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues. They look back at how far society has come and look forward to what it will take to achieve a brighter future. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, listen to What Could Go Right wherever you get your podcasts. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig with details. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hey, everyone. It's Eves. Just wanted to let you know that you'll be hearing an episode from me and an episode from Tracy V. Wilson today. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy B. Wilson and it's January 10th. Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon on this day in the year 49 BCE. Today, crossing the Rubicon has become an idiom in the English language used to describe making a really difficult decision or taking a really important step, something that you just can't turn back from. And so this might conjure up images that the Rubicon was a really dangerous mountain range or some kind of treacherous chasm, but really it was a river and not even a particularly large river. Sometimes it's described as not much more than a stream. It was the context that made it such a critical point of no return. The Rubicon marked the border between Italy and Gaul. Gaul included a lot of what is France and northern Italy today. And after a long and complicated political history, Julius Caesar had been given authority over part of Gaul, and then he had conquered the rest of it. And through this expanding military conquest, he had started amassing enough power to turn back home toward Rome. He had an eye toward remaking the Roman government to suit his own purposes. 
This was because of both his activities in Gaul and the way he had handled his affairs back in Rome. He basically earned enough money in all this conquest to hire agents to see to his interests there. Of course, this growing power of Julius Caesar was a threat to other powerful people back in Rome. Back in the year 60 BCE, Caesar, Pompey, and Crassus had all formed an alliance together known as the First Triumvirate. And as Caesar had become more and more powerful, that alliance had really started to crumble. Caesar had really been the negotiator between Pompey and Crassus, but as Pompey became more distrustful of Caesar, he couldn't really fill that role anymore. And then Crassus was killed in battle in the year 53, leaving just Pompey and Caesar and various factions within the Senate, all trying to amass the most power, all with their different goals and different ideas about how Rome should be run. This led to a series of very complicated negotiations and tensions until the Senate resolved that both Pompey and Caesar needed to lay down their military commands simultaneously. They voted on this matter on December 1st, the year 50 BCE. But the next day, Roman consul Gaius Claudius Marcellus defied the Senate, offered Pompey command of all of Italy's armies. This was basically him taking sides between Caesar and Pompey. Caesar once again said that he and Pompey should give up their commands at the same time, simultaneously, get both of them on the equal footing, disarmed together. But the Senate had changed their perspective. They had basically taken Pompey's side and resolved that if Caesar did not disarm himself, he would be an enemy of the state. A new governor had been elected for Gaul. Caesar was under direct orders to lay down his arms. And that brings us to the Rubicon. If Caesar crossed the Rubicon with the 13th Legion, crossing from Gaul into Italy, at this point, this would be considered an act of war. It was an irreversible decision and a point of no return. In the account of Suetonius, quote, he snatched a trumpet from one of them and ran to the river with it. Then sounding the advance with a piercing blast, he crossed to the other side. At this, Caesar cried out, let us go where the omens of the gods and the crimes of our enemies summon us. The die is now cast. This action on Caesar's part led to a civil war, which Caesar won at the end of it all, declaring, I came, I saw, I conquered, quite famously. Pompey was killed during this process in the year 48 BCE. Caesar returned to Rome as a dictator, although that conquest had not ended until the year 45 BCE, and on the Ides of March, 44 BCE, less than a year later, Caesar was assassinated. Thanks to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on this show. You can subscribe to the Stay in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And you can tune in tomorrow for a landmark court argument. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. 
Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Greetings, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that believes no day in history is a slow day. The day was January 10th, 1927. The silent science fiction film Metropolis premiered at the UFA Palast am Zoo in Berlin. The futuristic dystopian film is regarded as a pioneering work in the history of film. Fritz Lang was born in Vienna, Austria-Hungary. He served in the Austrian army in World War I, but after the war, he dove into the entertainment world. He acted, wrote screenplays, and directed films, and his career took him to Germany. In 1920, he met novelist and screenwriter Thea von Harbo. They married two years later, and over the course of their relationship, von Harbo wrote the script or story for many of Long's films. In 1924, Long traveled to the U.S. to observe filmmaking techniques in New York and Hollywood. When he returned to Germany, he began working on the film Metropolis. The film was based on von Harbo's novel of the same name, released in 1925. Xian Lang collaborated on the screenplay, which is set in the future, in a city called Metropolis. In the city, there is a class of wealthy industrialists and a class of exploited workers who live underground. There's a robot, a forbidden love, and a revolution. Filming began at the UFA film studios outside Berlin in May of 1925 and finished in October of 1926. The production was over-the-top and expensive. There were tens of thousands of extras and huge models of skyscrapers. It cost UFA about 5 million Reichsmarks, which was the currency of the Third Reich. That would have been somewhere around $1 million at the time. The studio was banking on Metropolis to be a success. But the film was a flop. It premiered in Berlin on January 10, 1927, and was criticized heavily. 
UFA let the film run in Berlin, but it had also entered into a co-distribution deal with Paramount. Paramount deemed its original length of 153 minutes too long for a U.S. release, and playwright Channing Pollock was hired to write a shorter version of the film. The new cut of the film came in at under two hours. It premiered in the U.S. in March of 1927. But the high cost of the film, plus all the other economic issues in Germany at the time, drove UFA toward bankruptcy. And German businessman and politician Alfred Hugenberg bought the company in 1927. Hugenberg also had the original film cut down, and that version was released in German theaters in August. This shortened version went on general release around the world. These versions have been edited further over the decades, and different versions of the film exist in different countries. Metropolis got mixed reviews. H.G. Wells, author of sci-fi classics The War of the Worlds and The Time Machine, wrote in the New York Times in 1927 that it was the, quote, silliest film. But Nazi politician Josef Goebbels praised the film. A note here that von Harbo, who long divorced in 1933, later joined the Nazi party and was loyal to the regime. But over the decades, the visual style and story told in Metropolis became recognized as important work in film history. Long ended up leaving Nazi Germany and moving to France, then to the U.S. to work in Hollywood. A large part of the original cut of the film was recently restored and screened in theaters. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Have a hard time staying present as you mindlessly scroll through social media? Lucky for you, we're stuck in the past. At T-D-I-H-C podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or if you would prefer to email us, you can send us a message at thisday at iheartmedia.com. I hope you liked this show. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. 
Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday.